0: This is an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky.
1: Early small looks out of Los Angeles and New York suggest millions of Americans have been infected with coronavirus even if they didn't know it. New York randomly tested 3,000 people and nearly 14% were positive for coronavirus antibodies, meaning they had the virus and developed the antibodies to fight it. 14% of the New York state population is some 3 million people, far higher than the quarter million confirmed cases. And while the death toll of nearly 16,000 staggers... These numbers suggested could represent a tiny fraction of the infected. Dr. Stephen Thomas is chief of infectious diseases at Upstate University Hospital in Syracuse. What do these numbers tell us?
2: I think it tells us a few things. The, The first is that I believe it tells us that this virus is behaving like a lot of other viral diseases where, and I've been using the analogy of an iceberg where you have the iceberg and then you have the water line and the biggest part of the iceberg is below the waterline. And those are the people who are infected, do not develop any symptoms, or they, develop, they are infected and develop symptoms that are so mild that they don't even access medical care. And so, you know, that's the biggest proportion of infections and they're not really counted. And then you have the part above the waterline, which is the people who get sick enough to have to come to the doctor I think the other thing that it tells us is that by the time you uh, diagnose somebody who has a clinical illness, so above the waterline, there probably has been viral circulation in that area for a pretty significant period of time, uh, probably you know weeks.
1: So the virus was spreading for longer and it was spreading wider than i guess we first knew.
2: Yes, i think that that's that's a reasonable conclusion and again it would not be it would not be unexpected for a viral disease.
1: What do we know about these antibody tests because we've heard that a number of them may be unreliable and i guess with coronavirus we still don't know what antibodies necessarily mean whether they actually convey immunity and to what degree.
2: So, um, you know, in reference back to what, you know, they did in New York, where they did kind of a, a random sampling of people around the state, uh, it can give you an indication of um, the, the prevalence of infection within a certain population. We're not at the point yet where, or at least I would not feel comfortable yet saying that, oh, you have an IgG positive test, you are immune and you are protected against a SARS CoV two infection. I, I don't think we're there yet. We're
1: only as good as the testing that we're doing, I guess. Is that about right? That is spot on, right? We can only we can
2: only comment on what we can measure, you know, all the limitations that come with a test that has to be uh considered when we start making conclusions or start trying to generalize, uh, you know, what what these test
1: results may mean or not mean. Dr. Stephen Thomas, Chief of Infectious Diseases from Syracuse and Upstate University Hospital. Our focus and fear associated with coronavirus may be causing another crisis in medicine. People with potentially fatal conditions are avoiding the emergency room. Dr. Jay Batt, an internist in Chicago and an ABC News medical contributor, is with us now. What aren't hospitals seeing at this time of coronavirus?
3: I think our nation's hospitals aren't seeing those patients that have chronic disease, maybe having symptoms over time that don't seem like a big deal in the moment, but become a big deal later on. Uh, cardiac conditions, uh, potentially symptoms of stroke or Uh, what seemingly is belly pain that could be serious. Folks are, I think, one, just concerned about exposure, but also wanting to only go get care when, when things turn out to be really bad.
1: But these are people who probably should be seen in a hospital.
3: Absolutely. I think they should have the ability to understand whether they need a higher level of care than telemedicine or a phone call.
1: What a statement about the time we're living in. Coronavirus is keeping people sick with other things from getting the care that they need.
3: The issue is that I'm concerned that out of a fear of COVID, patients are at risk of not being seen and we're going to see a potential surge of chronic disease gone wrong down the line
1: crisis on top of a crisis exactly is it legitimate that people fear going to the emergency room because they think they'll contract coronavirus just by walking in
3: i think that when we're sick we're at heightened sense of vulnerability and when we feel vulnerable we don't know necessarily what to do until we rely on our doctor we rely on the ability to access care to help us through that time and i think We're human and and to my patients who've talked to me, they certainly fear coming in and it's legitimate because of being in a position of not knowing what to do. Uh, And so it's, I think our job to continue to reinforce the messages, to seek care, be in touch with uh, your doctor. If you don't have a doctor, you call your own, then uh, to come to those settings where you can access care, whether it be the emergency room or the clinic.
1: Right, because it's not like people have stopped having strokes or heart attacks or bladder infections. ABC News contributor Dr. Jay Bat with us from his internal medicine practice in Chicago. Nearly half of all American adults have said they or someone in their household lost a job or took a pay cut because of coronavirus. Today, 4.4 million more Americans filed for unemployment insurance. 26 million people have now lost their jobs as the virus has ravaged the economy. Jacob Finkel owns Studio 17, a hair salon in Jonesboro, Tennessee. You've been closed since, what, March 21st?
4: Yeah, we have four employees and me and my husband. All my employees that day, I helped them fill out unemployment forms. And actually, none of my employees have gotten unemployment yet.
1: They've been waiting this long?
4: They've been waiting over a month now. There's so many people in the state of Tennessee filing for unemployment right now. We filed as well, me and my husband, as self-employed, and we still haven't gotten anything yet.
1: How frustrating.
4: Exactly. And I applied for the disaster relief loan and haven't heard anything on it yet, which I know they're trying to approve the funding right now to get more for it. It's kind of frustrating.
1: You're batting zero here with the government.
4: Yeah, exactly. And now our bank account for the business is in the negative My landlord for the business um, is actually a new one for us. He asked if we had applied for any loans yet, and I told him yes. And he said, well, I know you're being forced to be closed, so I'm not going to push you for rent. But if you get the loans, it'd be nice if you can do what you're supposed to do with them. But I understand you can't work.
1: Now, Tennessee says that you can reopen, what, the start of the month?
4: That's what they're saying. I'm concerned because... Working in the salon, the people who sit in your chair usually let their guard down a lot with you. How's that going to be on social distancing restrictions? We're obviously going to be breaking the six feet rule. And I want to make sure that I have masks that I can say, here, put this on. And I, my mom made us some masks for us and the kids. And, you know, we can wear those at the salon, but that protects from me giving it to somebody, but I want protection for us. I don't really see how we would be much different than a nurse if we're going to be up that up that close and personal with somebody. We should probably even have PPE on.
1: Isn't it amazing you even have to think like this?
4: Right. I I just don't understand how we can operate business as usual.
1: So what are you going to do?
4: I don't think I can open on the first. If if they come around to it and say, you know, you should be open, I. I mean, it, ultimately it's my decision and I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe from my employees. My employees have all asked. Um, we have a, a group chat and they, they come together and asked if we were going to be opening on the first and they all said that they would feel much more comfortable if we could wait at least two weeks to see what happens.
1: They're willing to take some extra economic pain in order to make sure it's gonna be okay long-term, I
4: guess. And it blows my mind because, I mean, I know they don't have anything coming in right now. They have the hope that they'll get this unemployment eventually. But I mean, they're they're being smart about it.
1: Jacob Finkel, owner of Studio 17 Hair Salon in Tennessee. And just ahead, we check in with Dr. Jennifer Ashton, our chief medical correspondent for the latest on what we're learning about the virus. And later, our next installment profiling essential workers on the front lines, risking their lives and providing services to the rest of us. This ABC News special continues after this.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
5: And with me, as always, is ABC chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jen Ashton. And Dr. Jen, we learn more and more about the features of COVID-19 every day. And there is new information now about this virus causing strokes in people, even young people. So tell us what we know. Right, Amy. And
6: you and I have talked here about the effects on the heart. We've talked about the effects of COVID-19 on the skin or dermatologic system. Now it's about the central nervous system. So what we know at this time, based on early published data out of China, is that 36 percent of patients presenting to hospitals with COVID-19 in China presented with neurologic symptoms, including things like headache, dizziness, seizures, loss of smell and taste, and in some cases, stroke. And now we're seeing here in the U.S. doctors finding patients in their 30s and 40s also presenting with strokes who had mild cases
5: of COVID-19. Wow. And so, Dr. Jen, the big question is, do we know why this is happening?
6: Well, in medicine, you know, we start with theories and what we think we know is that there are a possible number of contenders here. Number one, with COVID-19, an inflammatory reaction uh, that can be associated with these central nervous system effects. There can also be clotting causes, which you and I have talked about that people are seeing with COVID-19. And lastly, you can see some neurologic signs and symptoms sometimes with other types of infections. So all three of those
5: theories being looked at right now. All right, and so what are doctors needing to do now to figure out how to stop this?
6: Well, with so many things with this virus, Amy, there's still a lot we don't know. We don't know why this is happening. We don't know how exactly it's happening, whether or not it's associated with the severity of other symptoms of COVID-19. And lastly, we don't know if we can actually prevent it. So a lot that still needs to be studied uh, and researched. And even as we're making these clinical observations while taking care of patients who are sick.
5: Right. So much on doctors' plates and researchers' plates right now. Dr. Jenna? You'll be back with us later in the show. Thank you. Well, mayors across the country are tasked with maintaining essential services while containing the spread of the coronavirus. Joining us now is Mayor of Lincoln, Nebraska, Lyrian Gaylor Baird. Mayor Lincoln, we know has about a hundred cases right now, but the state of Nebraska more than eighteen hundred. Are you expecting cases there to continue to rise, and how are you keeping it from spiking?
7: Yes, we are still moving through our surge of cases here in Nebraska. We expect that to continue through the end of April and into the early May. But we credit our people for helping us to flatten the curve. People in Lincoln, Nebraska took this very seriously very early on. And we are seeing just a small number of cases each day. And we're trying to safely surge here in Nebraska.
5: Yeah, and Mayor, we have heard that there are, of course, some states in the U.S. that are trying to reopen. Do you have a timeline for
7: easing restrictions there in Lincoln? We're evaluating that right now because unlike other states, we haven't actually closed many businesses, though many did voluntarily. As I said, many people took this seriously, whether they're residents or employers. But we'll be looking at the number of cases, our hospital capacity and, of course, our public health infrastructure and evaluating whether or not we can continue uh, to keep some of these measures in place and how we can reopen our economy in a safe way. Yeah,
5: Speaking of your economy, Nebraska has seen a spike in cases in meatpacking plants there. Is that having an impact on how you're battling the virus there?
7: In Lincoln, it is not, but we, of course, know that we're all connected by this virus. So if an outbreak in a meatpacking plant elsewhere in Nebraska happens, we're paying close attention. Our local public health officials are coordinating with those health officials because we want to keep everyone in Nebraska safe. And we want our hospitals to be able to extend care to those individuals if need be.
5: You devoted your daily briefing yesterday to wellness and the importance of coping with the stress of this pandemic. So how are you helping your city do just that?
7: We know that moments of crisis can potentially bring out the best in people, and that's what we're focused on. We're focused on tapping into people's compassion and trying to build connections between our residents that will last beyond this pandemic. And we actually launched a program called NeighborLink here in Lincoln to help Connect volunteers with our homebound seniors or folks with disabilities who may need a helping hand right now or even just the chance to have a phone call or radio chat for some personal connection and companionship.
5: Yeah, It's a wonderful community. I was actually just in Lincoln in March before this all really began and ramped up. It's a big college town. Are you concerned about what happens next with the University of Nebraska there and other schools in your city?
7: Absolutely. We miss our students and we want to get back to cheering on our championship volleyball team and our football team. Um, And also as a city, like many mayors across the country, I'm worried about the revenue that we're potentially losing uh, if our universities remain in a different form of online learning. Uh, We are counting on those revenues to provide important essential city services that protect our residents and continue to protect our public health. So we are, of course, concerned and are looking to the federal government for support during this time. All right. Well, we certainly are wishing you and everyone
5: there in Lincoln, Nebraska, the very best. Mayor Lirian Gaylor-Baird, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Coronavirus is keeping a lot of us up at night. Many are having a hard time relaxing and even getting to sleep and staying asleep. So here to explain why this is happening and what we can do to get that restful night is sleep medicine physician, Venusia Hamilton. So thank you for being with us. And tell us at first, like why sleep is more important than ever right now.
8: You know, sleep is not only a state of rest, but it's also a time for recovery and restoration. During sleep, we actually secrete proteins called cytokines and other cells that can fight infection. And if you do get infected, it helps attack the disease. There was a study done actually that showed people who slept less than seven hours were three times more likely to have the common cold or the, rhinov- the rhinovirus compared to those who slept more than eight hours. So, you know, a strong immune system is important, of course, now more
5: than ever. Right. So sleep. Is too. So then what are you seeing happen to sleep these days with all the stress of everything that's going on?
8: You know, we're seeing an increase in nightmares and strange, vivid dreams. The situation we're in certainly can cause stress and wreak havoc on your subconscious uh, and work its way into your dreams. Also, people are waking up more. So you're more aware of a dream uh, compared to as before and we're stressed eating we're eating those uh, greasy acidic foods that can not only cause indigestion but can affect your dreams as well the other thing is most people are working from home or they're unfortunately not working at all so they're staying up late they're sleeping in they're napping we're really really creating a social jet lag that's right so what do you recommend to combat all of that well you know it's important to have consistency in your life set the morning alarm take a shower get dressed add some activity to your day. And consider a bedtime alarm. Uh, About 30 minutes before bed, shut down the electronics. Remember those blue wavelengths prevent your natural melatonin from being secreted. And have a bedtime ritual, a regimen. Dim the lights. Put on some relaxing music. Set the stage for sleep. Have that ritual like some light reading or
5: listening to a a lighthearted podcast. I find what happens is right when I try to go to sleep, all the fears, all the stressors, all the things we've heard on the news or that I've said on the news come and you think I have that symptom. And you start just to really get so much anxiety. You can't fall asleep initially. What can you do to deal with that?
8: If you find that happening, if you're finding racing thoughts, set aside time, maybe a couple hours before bed. To journal, write about what you thought about last night, what you may potentially think about tonight. Um, you might come up with a to do list, a gratitude list, uh, a gripe list, but it takes some of the steam out of those thoughts and it puts it on paper. The other thing you might want to try is breathing exercises or even progressive relaxation. So, a form of that would be, for instance, if you were to tense up your forehead and then relax that relaxation, that release of pressure actually kind of takes you to a more relaxed state than you were before you were at rest. Uh, and if you do that from head to toe, it can really help
5: wind you down. Yeah, I actually did that last night. I, I went from toe to head, did but you? it totally worked. So okay. that's it's, yeah, it. it, it tried way. and true. <laughs> Any last advice right. for, for many of us out there?
8: I would say even though we're social distancing, make sure to get out and get sunlight. Sunlight, Mm. not only does it keep our circadian rhythm or our our internal clock in sync, but it also gives us vitamin D, which boosts our immune system. It also prevents seasonal affective disorder or the winter blues. And I'm concerned that we're going to see that because we're cooped up inside. Remember, many doctors are doing telemedicine now, so reach out to them if you need to.
5: Oh, Those are such great tips. We appreciate it. Thanuja Hamilton, thank you very much. Looking forward to a good night's sleep tonight. Well, there is much more ahead as we continue on what you need to know dr jen ashton with answers to your questions and then the nfl draft goes from sprawling and splashy to surreal and virtual the changes in store this weekend and the high hopes for one young player
0: this abc news special continues after this you're listening to an abc news special covid19 what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
5: All right. We know you have a lot of questions about this pandemic. So let's turn now to Dr. Jen Ashton for some clear answers. Dr. Jen will begin with our first question. Do antibodies or the ability to produce them in our bodies impact the severity of the virus?
6: Well, we don't know, but it's really the question is the opposite. Does the severity of the virus impact our body's Mm -hmm. abilities to produce antibodies? We are still looking into that. In other words, we don't know if the 25 to 50 percent of the people who are infected with COVID-19 and show no symptoms or very, very mild symptoms, if they make antibodies just like people who have more severe symptoms. We also don't know if the level of those antibodies correlates with immune protection. So you can have what we call high titers, but a low immune result Mm. from that. And that is all being researched.
5: Wow. So interesting. And speaking of people who are asymptomatic, our next question asks, if I'm around someone with COVID-19 and they have it, but do not show symptoms, how exactly can they pass it on to me?
6: I love the the scientific way this person is thinking, Amy, and that is a good question. But the premise of infectious disease is that, remember, you don't have to be symptomatic to be infectious or contagious. Those are two completely different things. So the short answer to that question is, A person who's asymptomatic with COVID-19 spreads the disease the same way we think people with symptoms do. Respiratory droplets with breathing, talking, laughing, coughing, sneezing, if they have any of those, just breathing uh, can spread respiratory droplets or by contact. They wipe their nose, they touch their mouth, and then they touch a surface or shake
5: your hand and you could potentially get it that way. Next question. Recent research has suggested that of those in New York State who've died from COVID-19, Only about 5% had asthma. Should people with asthma be less concerned now than they were previously? This
6: has been really interesting, Amy, because people are watching closely the patient characteristics of those people who have been seriously ill or who have died of COVID-19 and trying to tease out what are their risk factors. What's the clinical characteristic picture? Asthma as a chronic condition and also as a pulmonary condition, you would think that it would dramatically increase a person's risk. But so far, it hasn't appeared that way. Now, in the specialty of asthma and allergy, they are still looking at this patient population as a more high risk group. But again, it also depends on the severity of asthma. We know that respiratory infections of any kind can trigger or precipitate uh, an asthma attack. So people with asthma, they should have their inhalers or medications, make sure they don't run out. They should have their peak flow meter so they can follow their numbers and they should be in touch with their health care provider and have a plan for what to do right. if they were to become ill.
5: Next question. What do you think are the risks yeah. with the mucous membranes of the eyes, nose and mouth being exposed in the water of a pool? Great question. So there's good
6: news, which is that chlorine and the pH of most swimming pools kills almost everything. It just depends on the time. We know that, for example, the bacteria E. coli dies within about a minute of exposure, but other viruses like hepatitis could take more than 15 minutes to be killed in an average swimming pool. So we haven't tested this coronavirus in those environments, hot tubs, swimming pools, but
5: in general, most things will be killed. It's just a matter of when. All right. And Dr. Jen, want to wish you a big happy birthday. Hope you get a little bit of a break at some (laughs) point and can celebrate. All right, we're going to change gears here and talk about tonight's NFL draft. It was supposed to be in Las Vegas, an extravagant event where players would take a boat ride onto the stage after being drafted. But now the NFL draft is going to be completely virtual. For more on that, we have Anna Isaacson, the senior vice president of social responsibility for the NFL, and T. Higgins, a wide receiver for the Clemson Tigers and a potential draft pick. So, Anna, I'm going to begin with you. Explain to us what tonight's NFL draft is going to look like.
9: Sure. Thanks for having me on. It's it's going to be fully remote for the first time ever. Fully remote. We're going to be live from the commissioner's basement, um, and we're going to have you know almost 200 feeds going out to prospects, coaches, general managers, club owners, uh, all of our broadcast networks. It's going to be it's going to be quite quite a scene and quite a night uh, with a ton of technology. Um, that we are, we are hoping for the best.
5: Yeah. And you know, you're going to have a ton of eyes on you and you're going to make the most out of that. The NFL's draft-a-thon is going to be happening too, which is aimed at raising funds for
9: COVID-19 relief efforts. Yes. Yes. You know, this is something new. We've never done this before. The draft-a-thon, obviously the NFL is all about giving back to the community. and um, We've been there in tough times before. And so this was a an opportunity and a platform to take a moment in time when we know people will be watching to really do some good. And so the draft-a-thon will celebrate the hard work of frontline workers, medical professionals, everybody on the front lines um, of this pandemic, while also trying to raise a little bit of money. Um, we have six Charities that are benefiting and fans can go to nflcom slash relief to donate if they are able. We know obviously people are, are suffering right now, um, but we're looking forward to providing a little bit of a respite for our fans and a little bit of levity in such a dark time. Yeah, no, it,
5: it's, it's a win win. And, and speaking of the fans, I mean, they have been so desperate for any kind of sports to so talk a little bit about how important it is right now for the NFL to get this draft on live TV, since it actually will be the only live sporting event on right now.
9: Yeah. I mean, it was, it's incredibly important. We think, um, you know, the NFL, we want to be in the business of unifying and inspiring people. Uh, we know that sports brings people together. We know that football brings people together. And we want to just have a moment in time where we can do that for our fans. And it's it's obviously been a tough go for everyone, a tough go for sports fans. But we can do this draft in a completely safe and remote way, you know, keeping in line with all the guidelines and medical guidelines, the, the government guidelines. Um, and so we thought it was the best thing to go forward and, and bring people this this entertainment, so to speak and maybe a break from what everybody's dealing with.
5: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's a welcome break for so many, and there are going to be a lot of people on pins and needles, including our next guest. He is a potential draftee. Let's bring in T. Higgins, wide receiver from Clemson. Very excited tonight, I'm sure. So how are you feeling about it all, T?
10: Oh, yeah, I'm feeling, you know, I'm anxious. You know, I'm ready to get this night over with, really. It's just, you know, all this, you know, nervousness is building up, man. Butterflies, this moment's going to be surreal.
5: All right, where do you see yourself going in the draft tonight? Have you envisioned it?
10: No, I haven't. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, wherever I end up, you know, they're going to get a good guy. So
5: I like that. I like that. A lot of positivity. Now, obviously, your preparation for the draft has had to have been drastically different since the pandemic began. You got gyms closing, training facilities closed. How have you managed to keep in shape and to do what you need to do to be the best?
10: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I have a good friend, uh, not like 15 minutes away from where I live, and you know, we just work out out of his garage. You know, we run the run his hill that he lives. And, you know, he lives down the hill, so you know, we run that hill, so try to stay in shape, and that's basically how to manage it that way. And sometimes, you know, I can get on the field. So.
5: All right, T. We are yeah. rooting for you. We cannot wait to see what happens, T. And Anna. Thank you both for being with us. We'll be right back.
0: This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special COVID 19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
5: We are back now with our spotlight all this week on the extraordinary essentials, the hardworking heroes who are stepping in this pandemic and taking on some of the toughest jobs out there. ABC's Juju Chang on the germ-fighting home cleaning cruise.
1: We're part of a community of first responders that, you know, we head right towards the storm.
5: Philip
11: Caracelo and his team of cleaners have been working nonstop.
1: Responding to calls all over New York. We came into this year expecting our regular duties of fire, water, mold. An international pandemic was not on that list. I'm not gonna lie.
11: They use a special fogging machine, misting even the walls and floors with chemicals believed to help kill the virus.
1: You're nervous, you're scared. We travel for hurricane storms. Obviously, this is different, you know, when you're dealing with an enemy, sort of say that you can't even see. Carasilo,
11: like so many other frontliners, is concerned about spreading the virus to his loved ones.
1: I haven't seen my parents, my girlfriend, I haven't seen them in quite some time, and uh, it's, been, uh, it's been tough.
11: Living apart has become a way of life for other frontline
1: workers. Instead of leaving work and going home, we're having to stay here.
11: Electrical grid employees have turned their office spaces into bedrooms spending as many as 30 days away from their families.
2: It's a surreal feeling that when you get up in the morning and you go right to your desk, the one thing that you you find out is you really come together as a family.
11: And for some, being sequestered means being away during life's special moments. What's tomorrow, honey?
0: My birthday. I want my cake to say, Happy birthday, Sawyer. Sawyer loves dad.
5: So grateful for all of their sacrifices. And that crew wants you to know that since the pandemic began, they have answered thousands of COVID-related calls. Again, we thank them and Nightline's Juju Chang for that report. Well, the country music duo of Big Kenny and John Rich, a.k.a. Big and Rich, they're doing their part to lend a helping hand in the fight against COVID-19. They put together their own very creative public service announcement to help encourage social distancing.
4: All about half crazy. Kids are bouncing off the wall. Yoga's done, got canceled. Mama's pacing down the hall. Homeschool's now in session, and I'm pulling out my hair. It's halfway through the morning, I'm still in my underwear.
5: (laughs) They're both joining us from their homes to tell us all about it. Thank you for being with us today. And, Kenny, tell us how this all came about.
10: Wow. Well, uh, we had gotten an email from our, our publicist saying that the governor of the state of Tennessee, Governor Lee, was... Um, reaching out and asking artists to put together PSAs that they could put out on social media and, and ask people to stay home. So I'm reading this, reading this message from her, and I'm walking back from my studio back into my house. Next thing you know, my phone rings. There's John on the phone going, "Hey Kenny, you got to listen to this." And he starts reading me <laughs> off these these lyrics, and I'm going, "John, this is the perfect PSA, and this is the way to do it. And there's no better way than to put it out in a song." So. Lo and behold, here we go. Stay home.
5: Yeah, it's catchy. I love it. And John, yeah, we just heard your creative juices were already flowing before you even got on the phone. You were already writing lyrics. What was it that made you jump into action to get this done?
4: Well, you know, I think it, it is the message people need to know right now, number one. But but all the messaging I was seeing on television or the radio was pretty somber. You know, we're all seeing commercial after commercial because it is a it is a serious thing and a somber thing. But we thought, well, what if we came at it from the big and rich side and put a little grin on your face while simultaneously – getting the message across to stay home so this is really a public service announcement wrapped in a country song and uh, hopefully people enjoy listening to it and and are
12: reminded to uh, do exactly that stay yeah. home for now and,
5: and you know what country music there's no better way to say what you need to say even if it's some tough material country music has a way of still putting a smile on your face and i love it no one does it better than you kenny was it tough to make this because you guys were each home throughout this entire process how'd you pull it off
10: well, um, through today's technology, uh, we were able to get uh, one of our uh, producers and, and uh, to record it at his. We got just the individual pieces to record at their their places. Uh, I've got a studio in my backyard, so we we're able to get the vocals uh, done back here. Uh, we maintained adequate distancing through the entire process, and we're able to just. Uh, fly the thing around over the interweb until we got it completed. And it's just that that's the 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 beauty of modern technology.
5: Yeah. And thank goodness for it, because uh, we're certainly enjoying it right now. I hope everyone else does. Big and rich. Stay safe. Thank you so much for uh, this amazing public service announcement. And thanks for being with us.
10: Thank you. Thank you.
5: Coming up next, right here on What You Need to Know, helping hands and dancing feet, DJ David Geta, His virtual balcony bash got Miami moving, and now he is joining us here. Stay with us.
0: This ABC News special, COVID-19, What You Need to Know, continues after this. listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
5: Global music icon David Guetta just raised over $700,000 to help with COVID-19 relief, and he did it by offering up a live two-hour virtual performance, giving music lovers everywhere a chance, I love this, to party with a purpose.
12: Everybody around the world.
5: Joining us now is DJ David Getta, and David, seven hundred thousand dollars raised, and we should mention that does include a very generous matching funds gift from you. So tell us why it was so important for you to help out in this way.
12: Well, uh, uh, first I gotta say I'm really walking on on clouds now. I am so so happy about everything that happened. It was it was incredible. Uh, it's just that you know, if I'm being totally honest, you know. Uh, I used this time uh, of confinement to to think a little bit about my life, and I felt like maybe I didn't do enough. Um, And that was the opportunity. I mean, this is an obvious opportunity to show um, a sense of, uh, you know, uh, helping each other. The, The world absolutely needs this now
5: yeah it's beautiful and my goodness you reached a lot of people 12 million people watched your concert from home and that isn't including the thousands who listened from their balconies windows and patios why did you choose to do it outdoors David
12: well you know I was we were doing some first we need to say this only on internet so you know those numbers are big for internet but um, the idea for me was to find a way to do something that was Let's say respecting, uh, you know, the norms of confinement, the the social distancing. But at the same time, I needed an audience. I wanted (laughs) to give a real show, not something that is in my bedroom. So the fact that even if people were only on their balconies, in the towers, it felt like a real crowd to me, you know. And I, I feed from the energy of the people that I'm in front of.
5: Your fundraiser, we should mention, is still going on. So how can people at home still help?
12: Um, well, people, can, I still donate it. Actually, it, it's incredible because we, we, uh, we raised 600000 during that, that, that day, but people keep the, uh, donating. So you can go to davidgueta.com uh, slash donate. And there are different organizations, uh, Feeding South Florida, Feeding America, uh, when it comes to helping people and also when it comes to uh, helping health workers, the World Health Organization. And because I'm French, uh, La Fondation des Hôpitaux de France. So we're trying to help as many people as we can. And I like the fact that people can go there and pick where they want to get.
5: David Guetta, thank you so much for what you're doing, uh, bringing a smile to all of our faces and certainly helping out those who are there on the front lines. Thank you.
12: Thank you so much. Thank you.
5: And that's our program for today. I'm Amy Robach. Thanks for listening.
0: ABC News, honored, winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News, America's number one news choice.
6: Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times best-selling author. And I'm
8: Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.